Thank you so much, everybody, for coming here. Thank you so much for inviting us here. We really appreciate being in Copenhagen, Denmark, and especially in the center. It has a very good energy, really positive, positive vibration. Um, so, what should we start with? <laughs> Maybe we can start with a very short meditation. Would you like that? Yes? Okay. So we can do maybe meditation on gratefulness. Gratitude, I think it's, it's a very good method. You know, because, uh, I think gratitude is a, it's a great technique and method. Because first of all, it brings down the pride, makes you more humble, helps you appreciate more. Helps you be aware more of things. And it, it also helps you to be more open. Criticism. So I think, uh, gratefulness, gratitude, it's a very good meditation in everyday life. Very practical. You know, especially when we motivate it correctly. So the motivation together with the gratitude is a very powerful tool in our everyday life. You know, and the small details make up the big detail. So if we focus on the small things first, then slowly, slowly the big picture will, will come up. So let's, uh, let's do some breathing first. Um, not just uh, the normal breathing we do every day, which is like, not that type, but from down here, from down from the throat. Deep breathing and breathing out the same way. Completely breathing in. Yeah. And then while we're doing this breathing, we start to focus, first of all, in our heart, which is an organ that has been pumping blood throughout our life and will continue to do so until our last breath. So since we were about two weeks old, a fetus, that heart, that organ has started to pump blood. It started beating. Expansion, contraction. Just like the Big Bang of the universe, but in a very much smaller kind of dimension. But in essence, it's the same thing. So we start focusing on the heart. We feel gratitude for that heart to exist and for it to pump ceaselessly. Untiringly. Something that we are not aware of normally every day. Until maybe suddenly if there's a problem, we are aware of our body. You know, but everything, our whole existence... In this body, in this dimension, in this reality, it comes through the body. Our experience comes through the five senses together with the logic, the perception, and the understanding, the emotions. Everything comes through this body somehow in a more kind of like gross way. 
Because in a subtle form, many other things are happening. But what we are aware of right now, at least, is this body that helps us to be able to experience life, love, existence in the universe. So we, we are grat- great, grateful to the heart, we're grateful to the lungs that are able to make us connect with life, with the air. We bring air into our lungs and then take out the oxygen which helps us have energy and movement and life. So these lungs that are the temple of our body that are the, the connection between us and life. We're grateful to all the different tiny details of life. Things that we never think about. Like, for example, the moment our parents met for the first time. The conditions that had to be, you know, put down in order for our parents to meet. And if that moment hadn't happened, maybe they would have never met. And their parents, and their great-grandparents, and so forth, or every single meal that all the generations before us had to, like, ate. Grateful for for all of that food, for everybody who created that food, who planted the seeds, who harvested the seeds, people who cooked the food. Even the first organisms that came to this planet that arrived and appeared in this planet for the first time. You know, the source of life, the beginning of everything that we know right now. So all these tiny details, all these aspects in life, which we're not aware of, suddenly now we are aware and we're grateful to that. We thank it. And in this way, we make ourselves available to understanding. We make ourselves available for empathy, for compassion, for humility, for respect, for patience. And we go up to the higher frequencies you know, that really will help us move forward and develop our spiritual growth. Okay, so this meditation, for example, can be very helpful if you do it every day. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you're stressed, when you have to do something important, anytime you can just stop, you can do it. Okay, so thank you for that. Thank you. Already I can feel the energy in the room is really starting to... It was already very harmonious, but now it's even more. (laughs) It's amazing. Okay, so... So the talk today was uh, about breaking our limits, right? Uh, Reaching out. Moving forward. So we have to be aware in life that um, everything that we know or that we see is actually changing constantly. It's in constant movement. Everything that we, we see and we think is solid is actually all these atoms in constant motion. We're not aware of it directly. Intellectually, we may be aware, 
But um, experientially, we're not really aware. It's very hard for us to experience, you know, how things are not really permanent. We act like as if it's permanent, as if we are a permanent person with a permanent personality, with our permanent surroundings, and we have this kind of obsession of accumulating material objects or looking for something that we may call happiness. But actually, if you search for it, the suffering that we're running away from is temporary. And we're going towards another temporary happiness. So what really is there? If we search, it's very hard to find. Almost impossible. That's a very big question that we have to make every day. We have to question reality. We have to question what's going on. Most people, we believe our thoughts. We take our thoughts very seriously. Which in a way, yes, sure, it is true. You know, our thoughts are, are big. They're very powerful. Everything that's man-made, everything that's been manipulated by human beings, started with a thought. You know, all the creations in the cities, all the technology, all the science, all started with a thought. That's how powerful thoughts are. This is a result of the thoughts. But at the same time, the thoughts are just like clouds moving in the sky. You can see them. You know that there's something there. But when you go to touch it, it's empty. And when you look away and you look back again, it's gone. So that's how thoughts are. And we take them so seriously. We even become so emotional based on those thoughts. Our whole attitude in life sometimes is based around those thoughts. Our state of mind many times is based on those thoughts. So one very important thing, you can call it the meditation, is to observe the thoughts. Where they're coming from, how they're coming. What is their purpose? Right? We have this um, habit. We're creatures of habit. So, our habit is to base our reality on what we already know. And uh, so one of the habits is to, to think inside the box. <laughs> Before maybe we were around three years old, we didn't think like that. We had no kind of concept of before. Oh, this is how it should be. Like our reality just was, just like is. It's happening. That's it. We don't have any concept or labels or conditions. You know, after maybe around three years old, then that's when we started to base our reality on what we already know. We create an imprint. And our reality is based on that imprint. We relate to existence. We relate to the outside world based on what we already know. And what we already know comes from habit, from imprints. And some of these imprints go back many lifetimes. So it's not just that we're creating imprints in this life every day, but we also have to be aware of the imprints that are coming from the past lives, which can be really powerful. You know, so 
it's like uh, we are actually our being, our soul, like many people like to call it, is like a little bit like the clear light. You know, in the Tibetan Buddhism, they call it the clear light. So the clear light is like, imagine it like flying through the universe. And uh, what's linked to it is the karma. So somehow we had the karma to come to this earth. And then we had the karma to be conceived. So we came into the reality, this kind of dimension, this more like material dimension we came by being conceived. And the moment we are conceived is the duality of the egg and the sperm coming together. And when that happens, boom, then suddenly the, you know, the, the clear light comes inside and then life starts to happen, organic life. So in the beginning we were just a cell or two cells dividing itself. And then suddenly we become this thing called stem cells, which have the potential to transform into any type of cell. There's around maybe 200 potential cells they can turn into. So that's what we were. We were a blob. We were a piece of meat that invents gods. <laughs> or maybe we don't invent, but maybe we discover them. But, um, yeah, we're just these pieces of meat that think they're so important. We're so important we have the right to destroy Earth. Actually, we, we can't destroy Earth. Earth will destroy humanity before that. <laughs> It will just sneeze and then it will be, it will be wiped out. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a fever and then it's gone. And sometimes we worry, oh, we're destroying Earth. No, we're not destroying Earth. We're destroying humanity. <laughs> Earth has been here for millions of years already and it will continue being here for millions of years. We're just like a small time lapse inside the existence of Earth. And we think we're so important. We think we're the center of the universe. Even individually we think that, somehow. We act like that. When we have a problem, it's so big. All we can think about is ourselves. Hmm. Yeah, so basically we started off being a blob. So tiny you couldn't even see it with the naked eye. And then that blob started dividing itself. The stem cell started to decide, okay, you're going to become the brain. You're going to become the lung. They choose. Or they have certain missions. They become the organs. They become the feet, the legs. Then it starts to happen through time and space. It's happening. Boom, boom, boom. And then suddenly the feet starts to grow. It becomes a cylinder. That's what we were. We were blobs and then we were cylinders. <laughs> so where is this eye? <laughs> that we, we protect so hard. You know, we really believe so strongly there's an I, and we will fight for it. We will fight for it so strong. Even the day we die, we're still fighting for it. You know, we don't realize that Earth is a school, and that we are just students. From the moment we are able to, to like, speak, and we walk, we're starting to learn, and to understand, to relate. And even the day we die, we're still learning the process of death. So, that's why, what's his name? Socrates, or Plato, I'm not sure who it is. I think Socrates. He said, the wisest man, or the wisest person, is he who knows that he knows nothing. 
What does that mean? That means that when you think you know, you're not open to learning more. So then you, you're not wise anymore. Wisdom is not something permanent or solid. Wisdom is something that's happening. It's organic. You know? Everything is moving. Every single atom in our body, everything is in movement, constant motion. That's a vibration. I speak to you and you can hear me. That's why we can see each other because of the the bouncing of the of the light. So all this is happening and we are so blind we think it's so important. While all these amazing magical things are happening. We have some control over our body, some control. We can move our hands when we want. Not everybody can do it, sadly enough. We don't even appreciate that. We're not even aware. And uh, we are not even aware of everything that's happening in our body. We don't even know what's happening in our body. The organs, everything is functioning to maintain us, to help us survive. We don't even appreciate it. Not only that, we don't even know ourselves. We don't even know how we will react in the future when certain things and circumstances happen to us. How can we even feel we have the right to judge anyone? If we don't even know ourselves. You know? It's very easy to point the finger to somebody. Oh, they did this, they are that. They said this. Of course it's easy. It makes us protect our ego. It makes us not have to focus on ourselves to recognize our mistakes. To actually do the real work. You know? You can't always run away from yourself. Someday you'll have to confront yourself. And that day will come. Trust me, life will make sure of that. And it's never too late, of course. But the earlier, the better. Anyways, don't be so serious. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. You have to take it easy. You know, you can't... Also, it's very important to relax. Take it easy, you know. <laughs> You know, sometimes the most productive people are the people who take it easy. You know, it's not about, you know, more time or more quantity. It's more about the quality. And in order to have the quality, you need to have the space. You need to have the time, you know, the, the rest, the enjoyment, the appreciation. You know, that's how it is. It's already proven scientifically. <laughs> In the workplace and in the school, it's already proven. Kids who study less and play more are more productive. People who work less and have more time off are more productive. You know, it's not about the, the quantity, it's about the quality. When you're rested, when you're happy, then you can really focus more. You can do a much better job. It's not just about thinking, it's about feeling also. It's, it's about Having the wish, the desire, the enjoyment of doing what you're doing. Otherwise, what's the point? We're not working to live, right? We're living. And meanwhile, we're working. So that's why, you know, there's a, there's a very good example. You know, a professor at the school, he showed, he was talking about, he brings a, a big glass and then he fills it up with golf balls. 
Have you seen this video? It's very interesting. Fills it up with the golf balls. And then he says, is it full? And all the kids, they say, yeah, it's full. Then he takes out the, all these pebbles and he fills it up with the pebbles. He says, is it full now? They're like, yes, it's full. Then he takes sand and fills it up even more. Is it full now? Yes, it's full. Then he takes beer and fill, fills it up with beer. Then is it full? Okay, now it's full. Right? So what is the explanation behind that? That means if you put the sand pebbles and the sand and the beer first, there will be no space for the golf balls. But if you put the golf balls, which are bigger in size, first, then everything else fits organically very well inside. So what does that mean? It's a representation, a metaphor of life. You have to give priority to the important things first. And then everything else will fit organically. Many people, they work to live. You know, or they, they chase happiness, or they chase materialistic well-being, or they chase a dream that the, maybe the system or society kind of like expects them to accomplish because they want to feel like a kind of like a belonging or acceptance or something. But if you give the real priorities to what, what really matters, the real values in life, then everything else will fall in place automatically, naturally. So what are the real values? If you think about it, the real values, what, what is the real wealth? You know, there's two different types of gold, two different types of wealth. One is outside, that one is inside. The, the gold outside, in order to achieve it, you have to, of course, you know, you have to sometimes, you know, in capitalism especially, you know, like when some people get rich, other people get poor. So in a way, it's also like that's how capitalism works. You know, that's how the balance is, is, is kept. Otherwise, it would be an anarchy or it would be a different type of, you know, system. But um, so that's, you know, so you have to fight to get that gold. And sometimes you have to fight very without scruples, you know, without, um, without any, huh? Yeah, without pity, you know. So when, when you make it, when you, your business makes big, other business go bankrupt. Not everybody can always, you know, succeed in self-capitalism. So already that's one thing. Then, not only do you have to fight for it, but you have to defend it. Who's going to take it? How to get more? And whether the people that come to you are real friends. Maybe they are after that gold. So you, you don't trust people the same, you know? Um, of how to maintain, how to get more gold. Many rich people, they can't sleep at night. They have to take sleeping pills. And they take antidepressants when they get up. You know, and that's the whole purpose. They're working to get money and wealth and influence and power. But in the end, they lose the real values, which is the actual inner peace, the actual happiness. You know, and then what happens? Then you're worried about, oh, what's going to happen when you die? Because you can't take it with you. So maybe you die, your family fights over it. So there's division within the family. Or you're worried whether, uh, when you're not there, who's going to, if they're going to really take care properly of it. So all these things you're worried about. But on the other hand, if you think about the gold that's inside, it's completely different. You know, you work for it, but the way you work for it is through benefiting other people, other sentient beings. 
When you share it, it multiplies much more. The more you give, the more you receive. The more you give, the more it multiplies. And the larger it becomes. Because we are creatures of habit, so the more benefit we do, the easier it is to do. The more enjoyment we have doing it. And then, you can take it to your next life. You don't have to worry about that. And nobody can steal it from you. Only yourself. Only you can destroy it by being a little bit ignorant. You know, or emotional. But even then, you know, if your motivation is right, and you can dedicate it properly, then it's like putting it in the bank. <laughs> it's like kept there. <laughs> so it's very good to, to have a very clear motivation. Because behind the karma is the motivation. You know, and the karma is linked to the soul, it's linked to the clear light. And the imprints are together with the karma. You know. So we travel with that. That's like our backpacks, you can call it, maybe. <laughs> so that's why it's very important to be aware of our habits every day. Not just physical habits or like what we say, but what we think mainly. Because our thoughts are the main thing. Then the speech follows the thought. And then the body follows the vibration of the speech. So for example, when for example, someone says, How are you? Oh, I'm really sick, for example. Just saying it, your body believes it. You know, so you're already creating the cause to be sick. In a way, because your body believes it's sick. Like, literally. Or are you happy? No, I'm very unhappy. So already your mind is thinking it, your body is saying it, and then your, your I mean, your, 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 your vibration is saying it, and then your body believes it, and then actually does it. So we have to be very aware of everything, of every single thing we do. You know? Body, speech, and mind, these are the main three things we actually have. You think you own something? What do you own? Tomorrow is gone. So where do you own? What do you own? It's changing constantly. How can we come and say, this piece of land is mine? I mean, even this body, it's stardust. It came from stardust, it's going to stardust. It's worm food. One day. Or maybe fire food or something. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's not, it's ours for a temporary period of time. And even then it's not even ours because we don't even control it properly. We're not even aware of, of the function of the body, of how it's working. If you tell me what's in here, I don't know what's in here. I have to study and be, become a doctor and then say, okay, so there's something called this, which its function is that, and it, and it works this way, and this is how, the, you know, like you have to actually study it. And the study is based on the interpretation of a bunch of human beings. You know, so everything is like that. Everything is based on interpretations. Everything is based on how we relate to things, based on our past, on the habit. So, for example, this is solid, we say. Why? Because in the past we believed it's solid. If we think, oh, well, I have a trauma because of my childhood, then we really believe it, then we really follow, we're carrying that weight. It's like forgiving people. Sometimes we say, oh no, you can't forgive him because what he did is unforgivable. So then you're carrying their weight. You're carrying their mistake. You're carrying their problems. Because you can't forgive them. 
You know, so you're not even allowing them to move forward because you're not able to forgive them. So you make them stuck and you keep yourself stuck too. And everywhere you go, you're carrying that weight with you by saying, oh no, I can't forgive this person or, or, or whoever it is or whatever it is. And the same way you have to forgive yourself. You can't be so hard with yourself. I mean, we make mistakes. That's how we learn. If we don't make mistakes, then we're not doing anything. You know, if we're making mistakes, it's because we're actually doing something. You know, that's how you move forward. But the mistake is making the same mistake many times and not moving forward. You know, if you learn and you change that, then you make new mistakes. <laughs> so, that's, <laughs> that's life, you know, that's how you learn. You know, humans, we have to make mistakes. We have to hit, bang our head on the, on the wall sometimes. <laughs> Otherwise, we get hit by life. Otherwise, we just sit in our comfort zone and we don't want to move. We're scared of, scared of change. We're scared of the unknown. We're scared of the mysteries of life. But at the same time, the mysteries of life is what really makes it interesting. The surprises. You know, the mystery. If we all knew what was going to happen when we were dead, then what's the point of living? We already know what's going to happen, so we can, you know, we already decide everything we're going to do. But because we don't know, then we're really thinking, oh, you know, what is life? What is the purpose of life? What we are doing here? Where are we going? Where do we come from? You know, that's, that's the beauty of life. You know, that's where philosophy started. That's where religion started. That's where spirituality started. You know, everything, technology, science, physics, mathematics, it all started from there, you know, from that mystery of trying to understand, trying to explain what is this that we're living. And that's, the beauty of life. And if we don't have that, then we're just like robots. <laughs> or maybe cavemen running around the fire, <laughs> fighting for the, for the driest piece of wood and the less humid cave. Uga, uga, uga. <laughs> so we, we have come up to here. We, this is where we are now. This is the future. You know? For ages, humanity has always wondered where we are going. So we, this is where we are going. Now we are here. We are almost out of destroying ourselves. <laughs> almost. <laughs> but we still have a chance. It's not too late yet. <laughs> so how to, how to, how to um, participate in elevating the concept of collective memory? How do we do this? By working on ourselves. By loving ourselves, by focusing first on ourselves. Now, I don't mean the self-cherishing mind. Don't mistake me. It's very easy to, oh, oh, oh I have to just think about, no. Yes, this, we are, we, we grew up in an individualistic kind of system. But there is a collective system also. There's a collective, you know, and that's why the saying, which I really like very much is, be proud for you are. You know, be proud because you have to be aware of your potential. You have to be aware of who you are. The potential of becoming a Buddha. You know, the actual inner qualities of our clear light. So that's why we are proud of who we are. You know, so we are strong to accomplish what we set out to do. But be humble because you belong. We are part of something much bigger than us. You know, so when you actually balance that out, and that's called Tai Chi. <laughs> <laughs> you 
No, it's important to have uh, harmony and to have balance in life, you know, not go to the extremes. As many people, for example, that like, they get completely um, sucked into this kind of concept of, um, you know, the practice or spirituality, you know, the teacher, the guru, the guru, the guru, or the text, the text, the intellectual understanding, or the practice of prostrations, water bowls, mantras, meditation retreat, initiations, teachings. So, wow, 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 again and again and again. Sure, that's, that's part of the path. That's part of the truth, sure. But we're not going to the truth. You know, it's like a dark forest. We're trying to get out of the forest. The light of the moon, or the sun, or a torch, helps us to find our path out of the forest. We are the ones who have to walk the path. We are the ones who have to choose which is the right way to go. By using everything, the ability that we have. You know? The, what do you call that? The logic we have. You know? So, for example, in a completely dark forest, how do we get out? It's very difficult, right? We all, we trip, we get eaten by wild animals, fall into the quicksand. <laughs> but if there's some light, like, for example, the, the full moon in the middle of the night, then at least we can climb a tree and see it from a distance or climb a hill and see from a distance and say, ah, look, over there, the, the forest is finishing. So maybe that's, if I go in that direction, maybe I'll get out of the forest. The moon, we're trying to get out of the forest. You know, we're not going to the guru. We're not going to the text. You know, we're trying to actually understand ourselves, trying to see what we actually are, you know. So that's why many times when we search, 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 search outside, we're distancing ourselves from where we are actually trying to go. And we, keep, we do that a lot in life. You know, we know something, but what we do is the opposite. The result is the opposite from what we look for. And that's where the I comes in. The I. Why is the I so important in life? For us. The moment we started speaking, we were already saying, my mama, my papa. Papa, mama. Mine. <laughs> So that's how it is, you know, and um, why is that so important? It's because that's in a way, maybe a way that we protect ourselves or we identify ourselves or we relate ourselves to the outside world in a way. Because we, in, in a way, we are kind of imprisoned in our body. So the only way to actually communicate and to relate to the outside world is through the five senses. So a smile or some music or speech or a hug, you know, all these things are ways to relate to people, to relate to the other world, you know, it's the outside. But uh, there's a limit to that, you know. When we actually create an I that doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. If you search for it, you'll never find it. So, and then our actions and our thoughts are all based in a way of how, how to protect this I, how to solidify this concept of I. You know, so if somebody criticizes us, if there's something that actually challenges this concept of I, we'll actually reject it. And how do we reject it? By maybe getting emotional, by getting angry, by being defensive, or attacking. 
you know, walking away, running away, whatever it is. You know, so it's a kind of attraction and rejection kind of idea. We are attracted to something that kind of like um, supports the I, supports this concept of I. Like, for example, pleasure, enjoyment, distractions, entertainment. We're attracted to that because that kind of like fortifies it in a way. It makes us feel more comfortable, you know, with this kind of like, oh, comfort zone. Oh, you know, I'm just me. But we don't see it. And then we reject things that actually challenge the existence of the I. So the way we act is completely the opposite from what we're actually looking for. Actually, I mean, we understand it, but, you know, we don't actually experience it properly because we are so focused on the attachment of this I, of possessing something. If we understood that we cannot possess anything, then we wouldn't have the fear of losing it. It's like, for example, before you get a really, really, really nice phone, or girlfriend, or boyfriend, or something like that, you know? Before you get that, <laughs> before you get that, you're kind of happy, you're okay, right? Then you get it. Then suddenly you think, oh, I'm really, really happy. But then suddenly you lose it, and then you're so much more unhappy than before you got it. But the situation is the same. Before you had it, and after when you don't have it, the situation is the same. But the state of mind is so devastated because of the attachment, because you thought you can possess that because it's yours or it's available for your use anytime you need. And that's how you actually try, you're supporting this I. And the I works in such a way that the more you try to cherish it, the more you try to work for it, the more you will suffer. And we know that and we keep doing it somehow. There's a very good example of, the, of the, the, the monkey traps in India. Anybody knows how they trap some monkeys in India? It's very interesting. Banana? I thought it was a candy. Maybe, I don't know, banana? Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, something like that. So they have these coconuts and they make a small hole in the coconut. Just enough for the monkey to put their hand inside. Coconut, they put a candy Like a banana. And then the monkeys, they put their hand inside, they grab it. And when they grab it, they make a fist. They can't take out their hand anymore from the coconut. So they can't run away, they can't climb the trees. Some of them even have two coconuts in their hands. Maybe even some of them four. I don't know. <laughs> so when the hunters come and they're afraid, they're scared for their life, they're so afraid, they still hold on to the candy. And they will not let go because they really believe genuinely that they can run away with it, with the, with the candy. But all they have to do is let go of the candy, then they can take out the hand and then they will be free. But somehow, you know, they really just grasp onto that. And they are captured and maybe their whole life changes after that. They're exposed in a circus or maybe they're killed and eaten or tortured or who knows what happens to them. But that's a little bit the representation of our mind. That's how we are. You know, we know how to be free from samsara, escape the cycle of, of life and death and attachment and suffering, but we don't somehow 
we, we keep that, we grasp. And where do we start? So we start in a very practical way, taking baby steps. Many people think, oh, I have to become enlightened. All sentient beings. It's a little bit difficult. I mean, it's a great motivation, of course. It's really good to, to think about, oh, I want to help all sentient beings. But come on, be realistic. Help yourself first. If you don't love yourself, if you don't really respect yourself, if you don't have that desire to improve and develop your spiritual growth, then how are you going to help anyone else? Come on. I mean, it's good to have compassion. It's good to click like on Facebook and be like, oh, yes, I support this movement. I support this charity. Sure, that's good. It's very good. I'm not saying don't do it. You have to do it, for sure. But, you know, you have to be also be realistic, you know, with yourself. Because many times we lie to ourselves all the time. We lie, okay, we can lie to our partners, we can lie to our family, we can lie to our friends, to the community. But don't lie to yourself. I mean, we know it and we still do it. You know, so when you start to be more sincere with yourself, then you can start being sincere with everybody else. When you start loving yourself, then you can start loving everyone else. When you start helping yourself, then you can really start helping other people. Until then, wake up. It's a good motivation, and it's a great path, and it's a great direction, but the method, you have to take the baby steps. You know, because you can't build a roof without the foundation. Can't build the walls without the foundation. There's no place to put the doors and the windows if you don't have a foundation. And if you don't build the foundation, the walls will fall. And the roof will fall. And you have to start again. And again, and again, and again. So this is the opportunity. Right now we are here, and it's never too late. <laughs> it's always early. <laughs> and uh, we have a perfect human rebirth. And we have the ability, all, all our body works, and we have the capacity, the potential, and the understanding, and the method. So let's start. Enough of comfort zone, you know. We don't have to wait for life to hit us really hard in order to really come out of the comfort zone, you know. Sometimes we need maybe some people who are very hard-headed, like me. <laughs> If life doesn't hit me really hard, then I don't wake up. I'm just like... Start now. Because you will have to confront that sooner or later. And better earlier than later. Because the later is going to be harder. Because we create more habits, we create more imprints, time is running, you know, and we act like this life is super long and we're always going to be here, you know, anytime. Time to change, you know, and right now we have the opportunity. You know, that's why even the gods, I don't know, maybe some people don't think it's a great metaphor, even the gods envy the humans. Why? Because when you're a god, you're just enjoying yourself constantly. <laughs> you're called all this. You have no sickness. You have no suffering. You have no pain. 
You just, wow, pleasure, orgasm, just total constant happiness, joy. Everything is perfect. Everything smells really nice. All the visual things are amazing. Physical pleasure, everything, all the senses are just completely like orgasmic all the time. But then one day, your karma ends. And when that starts to end, then the other gods, they start to smell some bad smell from you. So then they ignore you. Because they don't want to recognize that one day they will be the same too. So that's when the real suffering starts for the gods. And that's when they're aware that they, they've wasted all the good karma. they spent all the good karma and then they have the capacity and the realizations to see where they're going to be reborn. Maybe they can see pig family. Like, like they're lying in the mud in a really dirty place. And they will just look on the ground and only the moment they die they see the sky. You know, that kind of life. And that's where they really suffer. You know. Sometimes we say, oh, you know, I want to be a bird so I can fly. You know, I want to be a dog so they just take care of me and I'm happy. It's easy. But actually animals are constantly suffering. They're always scared for their life. You know, they always, they have this kind of like hunger, this desire, you know, this, 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 you know, like, um, fear. You know, so, I mean, we have the perfect human rebirth. Why do they call it, why do Buddhist people, or Buddhism, or Dharma, why do they say, name it, the perfect human rebirth? Why is it? Because we're not animals. We have the capacity to practice Dharma. Like, really practice Dharma. Not just go around the stupa accidentally. <laughs> But we have the capacity to practice Dharma full time. 24 hour, full power, no shower. <laughs> and at the same time, we're not gods, so we are aware of the suffering. You know, we, we actually have something that says, wake up, I'm suffering. What, what do I have to do in order to, you know, you know, wake up? You know, we have to practice. You see, gods don't have that capacity until it's too late. Maybe aware or something. I don't know. Some gods, maybe they're able to do that. But it's just an example. You know? So that's why in order to attain enlightenment, it's through a human body. So that is why we have the opportunity to reach enlightenment in this form, in the human body, we have this opportunity, in one lifetime. It's possible. But first, we have to take the baby steps. So the motivation is there. We see the objective. We know where we are going, which is inside. So understand, it's called mind science. You know, the Nalanda tradition, they used to call it mind science. You know, we have the wisdom and the method. It's available to us. Thanks to all the teachers, like His Holiness Dalai Lama, Lama Sobharimuje, all these, these teachers who are working tirelessly and making all these efforts for all human beings. They're sacrificing, may not sacrifice, but they're dedicating their energy, their time, their space to us. You know, and we have that karma, you know, to be here present at the time of Buddhas, like His Holiness, like Yamasubharimuja. You know, and not only being here at the time of the Buddhas, but actually being aware that they are the Buddhas and having the interest and the capacity to understand what they're communicating. 
You know, so many, many times may you think, oh, I wish I was alive at the time of Sakyamuni Buddha. We are alive right here, right now, and we have the technology. We have internet. You can live stream. You can just sit down in your comfort zone, chill. You can put up your legs. You can drink some coffee or eat your biscuits or your potato chips or whatever it is and watch teachings. How amazing is that? From your home, travel for months and risk your life. You know how it used to be before? That's how it used to be. You know? And we are, you know, man, we are, we are so comfortable. We create problems with no problems. That's how comfortable we are. We get depressed because we don't have anything better to do. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> My classmates in the monastery, you know, we have, I had about 250 classmates when we started off. Now there's only about 30 of them left. 13 years later. They're still studying in the monastery. But, you know, like, in the monastery when we were studying, you know, many of them, we, we, I would talk to them about, you know, an issue in the West called depression. You know, that people actually had to take medicine to, 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 to you know, fight depression. And they're like, what is this depression? Is it a sickness? And I tried to explain to them it's a mental attitude, you know, of a self-cherishing mind. And that's why, you know, Buddhism and the philosophy of Dharma really it can be very helpful for people like that also. You know, who are actually thinking very small kind of way of thinking, you know. Because if you really think about the situation in the planet, since forever, you know, since humans existed, it's been very difficult, you know. I mean, now we have a lot of, uh, a lot of things available for us, you know, for our pleasure and our enjoyment and our comfort, actually we're a little bit too distracted maybe, a little bit too entertained. But that's kind of what capitalism is looking for. You know? The system wants us to be educated like sheep and donkeys. You know, and we actually we participate completely in that. Um, of course, not everybody. And of course, not all the education systems are like that. But the conventional education system, you know, it, it, it challenges you not to question the authority, to accept what the superiors tell you, you know, to be afraid of making mistakes, to lose a little bit of creativity, you know, to follow the mainstream. So if you follow the masses, then what happens? Then just, maybe you make, everybody, I saw that in, in Nepal when we were there, when the earthquake happened in uh, April, was it 2015? I think it was April 2015. I was there. The first earthquake I was in Copan. And the second earthquake I was in the, in the airport. And I just passed immigration, but I still hadn't passed the security check. You know? So I was stuck in the middle. <laughs> and then the scary part is before the earthquake came, or would come, the light would go off. So the light goes off, and then you know that in the next 10 to 30 seconds, there's going to be an earthquake. And you don't know how powerful it's going to be. So those 10 to 30 seconds are excruciating. So everybody goes completely crazy. And I remember, <laughs> so I, somehow I was like, 
just chilling, you know. It's like, okay. You know, we passed immigration. Let's just relax a bit, maybe having coffee. Instead of actually going through the security and trying to run out to the, to the, you know, to the landing pad. What do you call that? The tarmac, which many people did, but somehow I didn't think that. I was just like, okay. I don't know why. I was just too, I don't know. Sometimes I'm stupid. But no, don't say that. My body will believe it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. <laughs> Okay, I'm very clear, I'm very clear. <laughs> I'm just joking, just joking. <laughs> Anyways, so I was just like having my coffee and I was, I was observing the other people. There's this is one guy who had a whiskey bottle like that and he was just like swinging it. Like swinging, like look, look, and then he would put it down and he get, like he drank half a whole whiskey bottle in like two minutes. And I was just like looking at him and then there was another guy taking down the sofa, like this, all the seats in the airport, he was like putting it upside down and like hiding underneath. Like literally, he was creating his own like shelter with the airport seats. And then there are other people, they're all like shouting and running from one side to another. And then when the light went off, then it was a panic attack. And what happened? A bunch of people started running in one direction, which was the security. And then everybody ran that direction. And then, of course, the police they blocked the whole thing. And then two or three people started running towards the immigration. And then everybody started running there. And they completely made everything stuck. So when everybody ran the other direction, a couple people, like, they, they kind of, like, what do you call it, um, sneaked through the security. Because <laughs> when there's a few people, then the cops would open it up and they let them pass. And that's where there were no masses and people had an advantage. But when you follow the masses, you got stuck. And you ended up in a worse place. Because then, the masses have no brain, you know. It's just like, ah, panic attack, going in this direction. And then they all get stuck here. So it was actually much worse. And I was just sitting there, and I was like looking at the roof, doing some mantras. And I'm like, okay, if I have to die now, I'll die. This is it. This is it. I was like really trying to meditate on impermanence. But it was kind of hard, actually. <laughs> My heart was like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> But, you know, just observing how people reacted. It's like, for example, in an airport when, again, we're talking about airports. But when you arrive on a plane, the first person that starts walking, everybody follows that person. And it's happened to me sometimes, you know. Maybe there's a sign that says baggage claim, but then, you know, somehow the person walks another direction. Then everybody walks after him, and then they get stuck. It's, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a dead end. And then the guy, he's like, gets all red, you know. It's like, okay, then he tries to, like, you know, uh, what do you call it? That, uh, yeah, but like try to act like he, like, like he didn't do it. You know, like it's, uh, what's it called? In Spanish, you would say, um, dissimular. How do you say that in English? Dissimular? Yeah, like fake it a little bit, you know, like, so they would like, oh, I'm just like looking around kind of thing. You know? But everybody follows them. Or sometimes like if, you know, it's just like that. You don't even think where you're going. You just follow the people in front of you. And maybe they're not going to baggage claim. Maybe they're going to, you know, like, um, to the toilet. Or they're going to try to take another plane. And you just follow them. And you're like, oh, where are we? Oh, I have to go this way. And you say, it's, it's funny. Anyways, I'm going off the subject. But yeah, that's how, that's how it is. So that is why... One person can influence the whole collective. 
And that is why it's so important to really, you know, progress and to really develop your spiritual growth. So important because you actually, you do. You influence the collective. It's proven, scientifically. <laughs> it's called the 100 monkey syndrome. <laughs> when a certain number of the same species understands something, automatically everybody understands it. For example, many breakthroughs in science or, or physics happened at the same time when many people had the same type of breakthrough or the same kind of discoveries. But only very few people actually took the credit because they were the ones who had the influence or the power or the wealth at that time to take the credit. You know, but many other people discovered the same thing at the same time. And that's how it's been historically. You know, it's something about the collective. You know, when the collective is ready, then boom, you advance. So there's a theory that when a certain number of uh, human beings or elevate their consciousness, elevate the frequency, then automatically the whole of humanity is going to do that too. And we're very close. Very close. And if you think about it, you know, like maybe sometimes we despair. We're like, oh, you know, the system is so corrupt, it's so difficult, blah, 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 blah. Okay, you know, fear, hatred, jealousy, desire, you know, um, what else? Um, greed. All of these things work at a very much lower frequency. Much lower frequency. And that frequency cannot prevail because it will auto-destruct itself somehow. You know, it's like a black hole. <laughs> There's no end to it. It's like, and in the end it just, like, I don't know, it like destroys itself. But somehow there's this other frequency which is much higher. You know, empathy, compassion, love, understanding, humility, patience, respect. You know, all these other really much higher frequencies work in a higher level and they really go very far. And those are the constructive, constructive emotions, constructive, you know, methods, frequencies, vibrations. Like just for example, energetically, think about it. Fossil fuel. What is fossil fuel? Fossil fuel is a bunch of animals and vegetables that died millions of years ago and are stuck underground somewhere. And we dig it up and we burn it to get a little bit of energy out of it. So we are basically burning death and creating energy. But the, the, the actual result is we are actually destroying the planet. We are actually creating asthma for our children. We're doing all these oil spills in the, in, the, in, the, on the, in the sea, killing all these sea creatures and just making it so much harder and fighting on it. Look at all the wars today. Today, most of the wars are based on oil. It, wealth, power, influence. You know? Why? Because it's a limited resource. So the more limited, the better business because the price goes up all the time. But it's, it represents death in a way. We're fighting for death. We're, we're, we're burning death as energy to, to move around as transport, as whatever it is. But on the other hand, we have all these renewable energies like wind, water, sunlight, which represents life. And it's infinite. It's not limited. 
But of course, it's not attractive because it doesn't bring money so much. It does bring money. Obviously, it does. So why not focus on it? But somehow, because we are donkeys and sheep, we follow what some people want, what some people decide to, to go towards. So we have to start waking up. We have, we have to start actually, you know, progressing inwardly so that we can progress outwardly as a collective. So we have a responsibility as individuals. You know, so it's not just about ourselves. You know, we can't just sit on our ass and chill in the comfort zone. <laughs> Sorry about my French. <laughs> but it's true. You know, it's very easy to just say, oh, tomorrow. Oh, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Or, you know, or I wasn't brought up the right way. Or it was my parents' fault. Or, you know, patience, for example. We don't lose patience with someone else. We lose patience with ourselves. You know, so if we have patience with ourselves, then we can have patience with everybody. If we respect ourselves, we can respect everybody. If we forgive ourselves, we can forgive everybody. You know? But you have to differentiate that between the self-cherishing mind, because the self-cherishing mind is very dangerous. And that's what kind of the system and capitalism is based on. If everybody was satisfied because they're living the moment, actually living the moment, actually being present, if everybody was really satisfied, then the capitalistic system would collapse. You know, some people pay 30,000 euros for one purse. And then a week later, they, this, they see another one, they're like, oh, I really like that one. You know, but the, the, the purpose of the purse is the same. You know, sometimes even the more expensive things are worse quality. And not as practical either. So what's what's going on here? Why are our values upside down? What what is what's happening? Why do we value things that don't really benefit us and actually harm us and everybody else? Like the ego. Why do we value that so much? Why do we not value empathy or understanding or or patience or respect? Compassion. Why don't we value that it's much more? You see that's the thing. When you turn on the news, What's more interesting? Oh, the negative news. If you had a soccer game, a rugby game, a basketball game, a tennis game, a ping pong game, all these games happening together, very interesting sports, and suddenly a fight broke up, everybody would go to see the fight. Oh, what's going on there? These guys are fighting there. Why is that more interesting? What is this kind of fascination with uh, like violence or, or negativity? Why is it that when a, when a single mother raises five children by herself for 20 years and takes them to university, why doesn't she make headlines? Why does one mother that accidentally kills her child in one second of, of you know, just, you know, of, um, what do you call it? Distraction or whatever it is. She kills her child in like one second and that makes headlines all over the world. But somehow the dedication and work of a mother for 20 years Never makes headlines. Why? Why is it that we focus so much on negativity? That's the thing. That's one of the issues today. You know, we overvalue negativity so much more than positiveness. We remember that much more. I have a friend, you know, he was raised by parents who were very, 
loving and easygoing and supportive. And they always supported his decisions. And they always gave him all the finance required to travel, or to do this, or to do that. Whatever he wanted, they supported him. They never hit him. They never said no to him. For his whole life. But when I asked him, I said, what is the thing that you most remember from your childhood? He said, oh, my mother slapped me one time. <laughs> That's what I remember the most. Why is it? That's like one second. Why do we give so, why are we so traumatized by that? Why can't we be traumatized by positiveness? <laughs> why not? <laughs> I think we have to switch our values in, in, somehow. Overvalue positiveness, and then that's what we will really have. We'll have that. And negativeness is not so important, you know? And that's how we actually lose a little bit of our self-cherishing mind. You know, if we, if we have a certain situation in our life where we're suffering, and we focus more on the positive, then we don't suffer so much. That's why suffering is relative for each individual. Yes. <laughs> No. Yes. <laughs> I think she agrees. Is it she or he? She. Yeah? Chess. Oh, yeah. I think she's dreaming. Like us. We're all dreaming, you know. We're so asleep. The suffering is relative. Like, for example, for us, if somebody whips us, we're like, ah, oh, stop that. But for a masochist, it's like, yeah, keep going. That feels so good. Keep, me, keep whipping me. But the action is the same. Why is it the masochist enjoys that? But we actually suffer from that. Why is that? Suffering is so relative. It's just the way we see it. So as, if we are aware of that, then we can change everything. And for some people, a small thing can be huge. can be the end of the world. For some people, something really big, they can really... You know, take that as a challenge and overcome it and really use it as a, as a catapult to really whew, advance in life. You know, something really big becomes small. The negative part, at least. You know, and then they use it as something really big. Some people, they just, well, they just fall and get overcome by something small, relatively small. Because of the way our mindset, our, our capacity of, of, of seeing it, our limitations, we limit ourselves. You know, we get completely, what do you call it? Mm. Over, overcome, yes. We get completely overcome by our small mind. We limit ourselves. That's what the talk is about today, right? <laughs> yeah. So we limit ourselves. We completely limit ourselves. Completely. Why? Because we are afraid of our potential. And that's what Buddhism calls ignorance. You know, we have this, this concept of separation. You know? But if you think about it, for example, our body, when we see me, okay, this big me, where is it? It's composed by all these organisms. All these situations and circumstances before us. And we think this is so solid. This is so independent. 
Now we our whole existence is based on infinite amount of situations, circumstances, and uh, activity, and uh, multi-organisms, and atoms, and cells, and we don't even have the capacity to understand it intellectually. And that's how it is. But somehow we still think, oh me, I'm here, this is me, I'm permanent. Your personality is changing, we are being, we're happening, constantly. So that's why, you know, there is no separation. Think about, for example, the consciousness of a, an amoeba. It's a single-celled organism. It only has one cell, but it's conscious. It's scientifically proven. <laughs> you know, when they poke it, it runs away. When they give it some kind of nutrient, it goes towards the nutrient. It's attracted to the nutrient. So it runs away from pain, and it's attracted to pleasure. Just like us with our ego. Same way. Rejection and attraction and everything else that doesn't affect us is neutral. That's how it is. That's how we move around in life. Like an amoeba. That's how small-minded we are. And then, relate to the consciousness of amoeba compared to our consciousness. The capacity of our consciousness. How we can see, how we can experience life compared to an amoeba. And that amoeba is in our stomach. And it's part of us. And our habits, our energy, our emotions affect it. Just like it affects our whole body. And our speech affects it. Imagine our emotion. It's scientifically proven that, you know, when we get angry, it harms our heart, it harms our body. Physically, we're actually harming ourselves. And when we're happy, peaceful, harmonious, we're actually prolonging our life. We are becoming more healthy. It's true. So compare the amoeba's consciousness to our consciousness. That difference. And then compare the Earth's consciousness with the galaxy's consciousness. Just blows your mind, right? But the Earth is alive. The, the galaxy is alive. The universe is alive. And it's really interesting. Some scientists today, neuroscientists or... Um, quantum physicists, they, they're saying that the universe is a hologram. It's a 3D hologram. So actually it's an illusion. That's where science is going today. It's actually starting to cross paths with the concept of emptiness. It was discovered 2,600 years ago. Without computers, by the way. <laughs> but it's amazing how science and spirituality or philosophy that actually starting to cross the path. And this is where we are now. You know, we are really lucky to be alive at this time, where technology and spirituality is coming together. But we are so distracted by our monkey minds. All the time. That's our boss. Our boss is a monkey mind. We put the monkey mind, and we make it the captain of our boat. And we forget about everything else. So why do we let the wind just take our boat anywhere? Why do we let the emotions take over? Why do we let the monkey mind take over? What's so important 
that we have to do that we cannot be aware of these very important values in life. You know, right now maybe we may get a little bit impatient, oh, because, oh, one hour, oh, one hour and a half. Oh, but what, what else are we going to do when we get home? Watch TV, let ourselves get brainwashed by the television, go on Facebook for an hour or something, watch a movie, or what, what are we going to do that's so important that makes us so feel so impatient? All the time we're like looking for something else or running away from something else. If we are here, then we are really satisfied. You know, what we really need, the real values, are the basic things for life. You know, we need food, we need, you know, like a place to sleep, warmth, company, protection. You know, some basic things we need. Everything else is not that necessary. You know, it's extra. So what is it that, we, what we're, that we're fighting so much for all the time? Why are we always looking for that? Why do we give it so much importance if we know that that's never going to bring us happiness? Why do we limit ourselves again and again and again and again? Constantly. For years and years and years and years. Why? So that's why it's very important to observe our minds, to observe our emotions, where do they come from. Sometimes it's good to also shut down the mind, to calm down the mind, to pacify it. And try to prolong that time, that, 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 that kind of, that state of mind. When you calm down the mind, you like try to prolong that. Then you can really start hearing the inner voice. It has no voice, but you will hear it. Hmm. Anyways. So maybe we have some questions. Or topics you'd like me to talk about? No? No question? <laughs> Please. Sorry? Yeah. Or maybe live streaming has voices. The live stream. I always forget about the questions in the live stream. No? You can't? Okay. Anyways. Your question Yes, but why do we limit ourselves? Could you... Well, why, why do we what? Limit our... Okay, many reasons, of course, which we already talked about. We limit ourselves because we are afraid of our potential. We limit ourselves because we are in a comfort zone. Too much, too comfortable. Because we are entertained. Because we are distracted. Because we are ignorant. With the sunglasses of ignorance. Which is the concept of we are independent. Not interdependent. The concept of separation. Uh, the concept that we are you know, like the center of the universe, basically. <laughs> That's why the first, what we started was with, was with gratitude. If we're grat grateful, then we start to not limit ourselves so much. Because through gratefulness, through gratitude, we open ourselves up. 
You know, it's a little bit like the difference between someone who's been stuck after an earthquake somewhere, or maybe somebody who's been stuck for a couple of days without food or water, and then suddenly somebody comes and saves them. A person gives them some food or a, a cup of water to drink. When the person receives that water, the, the, the attitude towards the Savior is of total gratitude and humility and respect and patience. Automatically, because of the gratitude. But somehow, a billionaire sitting in his mansion, when one of the servants brings the water, their attitude is completely different. Why? Because they feel entitled. It's their right. And maybe they ask for hot water and the water is warm and then they complain. Or when they bring food, oh, this is not right, that is not right, there's not enough this, so you have to put more of that, and they complain and they get angry and whatever it is. So why is that happening? Because you're not grateful. But the action is the same. The person is bringing something for you. You know? So that's why just the fact that you're grateful changes everything. Changes your whole perspective. And the way you relate to everybody else. So if you're always grateful, then you always relate in a more humble way, in a more patient way, respectful way. And that will break the limitation. Because then you're not self-cherishing yourself so much. Then you're cherishing other people. And through helping other people, through dedicating your time and your space to other people also, then you really create the cause to be happier, to be more peaceful, to be more joyful, to be more harmonious. And then every time you create that pattern and that habit, and every time it's easier to go in that direction. It becomes easier every time. And that's why the practice of Dharma is very important. Not just the mantras and the meditation, and the teachings, which is very important, but also in the everyday life, the way you relate to people. You know, someone who's nice to you, but actually to the waiter, they complain to the waiter and they talk in a, in a, in a bad way. It's not real Buddhist. You know, I mean, you can, Buddhism really comes, the practice of Buddhism, for me at least, how I see it, the first step in Buddhism is to know how to adapt positively to any circumstance, any situation. For me, that's the first step in Buddhism. So adapt positively to any situation. And then to be grateful to everything so that you can actually relate to everybody in a very unique, more like realistic way. You know, then you're creating the cause to be happier in your life and to prolong your life and to be more healthy and everything else. So that's one of the steps to actually break your limitations. And that's why a lot of the practices in Buddhism is to visualize yourself as a Buddha, as a deity. Because then you're visualizing all the good qualities you have. You're potentiating what you already have. Because we have the potential of the Buddha. It's just that we limit ourselves and we, we, we try to think of ourselves as just like, I don't know, something else. You know, but actually we're beautiful, we're amazing. The real beauty comes from the inside. If all the women knew that and saw that, that the real beauty comes from inside, then all the cosmetic companies, they would completely go bankrupt. How many billions do they make on the insecurities of women? You know, because they're bombarded by this concept of beauty, which doesn't exist. It only exists 
in Photoshop. It's true. That, that person that you see doesn't exist in real life. And then that, then that mother would wishes they would look like that in like real life. <laughs> and then they bombard us with that and they give, they say, oh, that's the concept of, of beauty. But it's very relative. Beauty is very relative. In the Arab world, the more fat you are, the more beautiful you are. You know, it's not, it's not like, oh, beauty is the same for everybody. Because we all relate to beauty in a different way. Just like we relate to suffering in a, be- in a different way. You know, so that's very important. That's how we have to really start breaking that limitation. Start waking up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just to what you said before. Uh, so sometimes it can be really hard when you when you practice compassion and you practice understanding, forgiveness and respect. Sometimes it's like there is a fine line, uh, the differ- differentiation between being a carpet and then actually practicing compassion. Do you know what I mean? Like being a carpet when you just roll yourself out under other people, just like flat down, just... Yeah, like sometimes I personally can be hard to uh, differentiate of being when you roll yourself out as the doormat, just, you know, being there, being friendly, being compassionate, being open, being respectful, being understanding. And sometimes, yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, how do you yourself differentiate? Between when you're being a carpet and when you're being practicing the Dharma. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, of course, um, we have to have a limit. Because otherwise, it's not, we're, we're actually harming more than helping. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not easy, obviously, to balance, to find the balance. But like, it's like, for example, sometimes you give a hand and then they want the arm, and then you give the arm and then they want the neck, that kind of situation. <laughs> and then in the end, you don't have an arm anymore. I mean, like, of course, uh, the stories of the bodhisattvas go, you know, they offer the body to the tigers. You know, I mean, like, that's it's a great story, but I don't, like, realistically, I, personally, for me, it would be very hard to give up my arm to, to a hungry tiger. Um... I mean, I value my arm a lot. <laughs> uh, but you know, these stories of sacrifice is just a representation. I mean, I'm sure it's true. It's a true story. But it also is a representation of the sacrifice that we have to make sometimes to have bodhicitta. You know, it's limitless. But also we have to be realistic. You know, especially in a, in a, in a, in a, in a system and in a society where sometimes people take advantage very easily. They take it for granted. And then you're not helping them. It's counter-effective. You know, because they take, they take it for granted. They, they feel entitled to that, and then they expect it. And when they don't get it, then they get cranky. So you're actually, you're like gratifying, or you're like, um, you're, what do you call it? Supporting, or like when you give a present, just like a dog or something, like give rewarding you're rewarding a mindset or a pattern an attitude 
by 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 keep by keeping on doing the same thing. So actually, the message that you're getting across is the opposite from the one that you want to get across. You know, if the person feels that the more you they take, the more you're going to give, then in the end they, you won't have anything else to give. You know, because you've already given everything. But in a way, at the same time, you never have to be afraid of giving too much because you will always receive, you know, but with a limit. Because materialistically it's different. You know, emotionally or motivationally it's, it's very different from the material world. You know, like rich people become rich by being stingy, right? <laughs> so that's like he's saying, you know, like, if you give, 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 how can you become a millionaire? <laughs> like you have to save. But uh, karmically, that's not the way it works. Karmically, the more you give, the more you receive. And also, that's how it works in the material world. I mean, you don't see it directly, the effect immediately, short term. But long term, the more you offer, the more you give, the more you dedicate, the more you will receive. Because the material world is just a representation of our of the reality we are creating. So that is why we also have to know where we are harming the other person. Because sometimes it's important to to know where our limit is and where after that limit where it's actually not beneficial for the other person. And that we have to decide for ourselves. I think we're wise enough to be able to see that. You know? You can be empathic, you can be compassionate, but sometimes you also have to be compassionate in a little bit more different way by actually knowing what's going to help. You know, so if you keep on doing some kind of action which is not helping the other person's spiritual growth, then you have to also take it away so that it makes them wake, so it makes them see something. You know? Like if you let somebody abuse you constantly, you're not helping them either. You know, it's not it's not about oh yeah, just abuse me everything you want. You can shout at me and be toxic and whatever. Hey, there's a limit. And if you let them do that, then that person is never going to learn because they think they have the right to do that. They think they're right. You're always like okay, okay, yes, you're right, you're right. Then in the end, you're not helping them at all. You're actually harming them. So you also have to put a limit. You also have to say, hey, enough. I'm going to take, I, I can take it up to here, up to there. You know, like, I also have, you know, feelings and, you know, I, I'm a human being and I'm alive. And, you know, you have to relate to me too. And you have to have certain empathy. You know, so it's not about being a doormat, obviously. You know, I mean, you can be a doormat for a short period of time. <laughs> but then it's good to also be something else. <laughs> You know, it's uh, that's why you have to also be flexible. You have to be able to adapt in a positive way. So by being a doormat all the time, it's not all the time positive. It can also become something negative. So you have to be clever in that way. You have to be able to really be able to kind of know. And it's not like, oh, I can only know if somebody tells me, or how can I know? No, you will know. If you, if you actually follow your instinct, if you're intuitive, you know, if you're open-minded, then you will know. When you have to know, you will know. You know, it's like that. Sometimes people, we get frustrated because we're like, oh, you know, we won't know because maybe 
like, oh, we, we, we worry about the future so much, we get so stressed about something that hasn't happened yet. But why worry about something that we cannot change yet, that we cannot do anything about yet? People worry about something that's going to happen in two, three months. What is that? Why do we do that? Why do we waste our energy and our time worrying about something that we cannot change today? Worry about what we have today. Think about what we have today. Don't think about what you don't have today. You know, but we do that. We tend to do that, you know. So it's not about, oh, we need a guru, a teacher to show me, oh, when I have to do it or when is this. No, you know when the time comes. If you are present, if you are aware, you will know. And that's one of the beauties of life, you know, that we are, we are aware, you know, we are awake in a way. <laughs> Even though we are asleep most of the time. But, um, yeah, but that's, that's the idea, you know, to awake in the life, you know. Any more questions? Hmm. Thank you. Um, what is this? First time I've had a microphone. Um, I've noticed recently that I'm addicted to thoughts. Yes. So, um, and uh, what would be the antidote to this addiction? Do you have a high time Mm, no. Mm, sometimes, but uh, I noticed the, the the this voice, the the discussions, the endless doubt. The I'm okay with other people. I'm sane most of the time when I'm awake. But in my own company, um, then these uh, doubts arrive, or the thoughts come, or the indecision comes. Um, which basically removes all the power and then I don't know what's right and wrong and then I'm addicted to this constant thought. Then I can sit down and meditate, I can do mantras, I can do all the antidotes that I've learned here and then at a certain stage this voice says, okay, now I'm bored or this is not working or, and then I've got the permission to now stop and do something else and then I'm addicted to it, you know, but that's basically this. So what is the, you know, the um, long-term antidote for this? Long-term antidote. Well, let's talk short term first. Uh, um, I think first of all, having doubts is very good. It's a very healthy thing to have doubts, to question yourself. You know, how we think today doesn't necessarily mean we will think the same way tomorrow. You know, uh, Buddha Shakyamuni, when he was giving teachings, he said, you know, my teachings, you have to treat it like, like a goldsmith treats gold. You know, by burning, rubbing, scratching, poking, you know, heating up and, and, and melting and all these process that the goldsmith takes gold through in order to say, okay, this is a precious metal. This is gold. But before the goldsmith takes it as such, it has to go through a process. So questioning is one of those processes. You know, and thinking is like meditation. But it's also good. There's other ways, like calming the thoughts is good. But also observing the thoughts is good. Just letting them come and go. And just trying to figure out the source of those thoughts. Just observing it. That's also good meditation. So short time that can help. Long term, we really need to have a certain dedication and practice in everyday life. You know, like actually take our time, 
to actually practice some med- some real meditation. You know, like actually sit down, do mantras if you want, calm down the mind, start focusing more. You can analyze, you can question reality, and then at the same time calm down the mind and start really, you know, just just being who you are. You know, not so much thoughts. Thoughts can help, but sometimes it's it's better without thoughts. You know, and then of course, if you're more interested in in, in a deeper level of practice, and there's many teachers available, and many books who teach you Buddha Dharma or any other philosophy or spirituality available that works for you, with which you can identify yourself. You know, which attracts you. You know, for me, I feel. My job is not so much to teach Buddhism or Dharma, but it's maybe to create a little bit of like an introduction to Dharma. It may spark a little bit of interest in Dharma. That I feel is my job. Or what I would like to do. Because I don't see myself as a qualified teacher at all. I'm a student. I'm a student of Dharma and Buddhism. And I believe I'll always be studying Buddhism. Even the day I die, I'll still be studying Buddhism. Learning the process of death. You know, so don't count on me as a teacher. You know, I'm just here, I'm just a friend to try to help the best way I can. And, um, yeah, and uh, today, you know, I think one way, tomorrow I may think another way because my mind is changing, my body is changing, and my understanding is changing, you know, just like all of you. So, yeah, we just have to be able to move along and uh, be able to see that we are surrounded by change and, and vibrations. And the beauty of life is moving with that change, being open to that change. Mm. And seeing, actually trying to understand the reality, you know, that we are in a universe that is a hologram, <laughs> that is an illusion, and we create our reality. You know, and that's called karma and motivation. And... um yeah, so we have available. The FPMT, for example, is a great organization because it has the roots, it has the foundation, it has the, the tree trunk there available. It comes from the teachings of the Buddha Shakyamuni and the and the the school of Nalanda and the, His Holiness's teachings, Lama Zobarimuji's teachings. They're all there, available in the most pure form. It's the nectar, it's the nuggets, the delicious juice the fruit, the sweet nectar of Dharma and Buddhism is there, available, in its pure form. So, we're not going to get misled or misguided because we have that available. And the amazing thing about FPMT is that we can actually branch out and diversify ourselves to reach even more people. So we can really create some kind of more interest and more identification within humanity. Because today most people are not religious and many people are very ignorant and suffering and unhappy and they're lost. So if we can help them in a neutral way without something called religion or spirituality or Buddhism or whatever it is, at least create some kind of available means or understanding where it says, oh, hey, there's something there. It's there. So you can try, you can, you can see it's there. And based on that, then slowly, if you, if you want to, you can dive into many different forms, you know? 
And you can try many different things. But there can be so many books that explain to you how delicious chocolate is. But until you don't taste the chocolate, you don't really understand what the book is talking about. But the book helps you to understand better when you eat the chocolate. You know, so for me, when I was in the monastery and I studied Buddhism, I didn't really relate to it very much and I didn't quite understand it very well until I left the monastery and I started to experience what we call samsara. <laughs> That's when I started to really relate to Buddhism and to Dharma and the philosophy. That's where I really started to understand better because I could relate to it. So in that way, you know, you have to have the balance. You know, you just, you can't just focus on one thing. You know, but that's kind of the long term, to know where you're going with the motivation together. You know, so the wisdom and the method put together. Without compassion, you have nothing. Without wisdom and, com and just compassion, you still have something actually. You know, you can reach very far away just with compassion, even though you don't have the wisdom. But the wisdom, you know, enforces it, makes it faster, makes it easier. You know, so, but if you put it together, then... Pfft, it's a breakthrough. You can really go so far away. And you have it available. So, just search within. Take your time. Be patient with yourself. But at the same time, also dedicate. Don't just chill in your comfort zone all the time. Sometimes it's good. It can be creative. It can be productive. And you also have to work a bit. Inside and outside. More questions? This is a question to do with forgiveness. I realize it's a process because, yeah, I try to nail it. And when I get there, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to look at something that's so, so painful and, and see it release. But then a month later, the rock appears again. So I'm, I have a certain amount of frustration, but I realize that's... the that is the path. It's still, it's still the the goal, but I, I, I'm I'm acutely aware of the rock reap, reappearing, and and then I heard now that even science has proven there is a, a click when the forgiveness does create that shift. So I'm now in a little bit of conflict. Okay, when's the shift going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> when's the click? What do I? Is is it just patience? Is it just the All right, I think uh, the click is happening all the time. <laughs> it happened while you were talking. Um, we're moving forward. And every time we learn better, we understand better. And we, when we look back, we see how much we've advanced. That's why it's really good to look back sometimes and see where we came from. To really understand where we're going also. Sometimes we, we just get desperate because we're not capable of looking back. But every time you encounter the same problem, the way you see it, the way you tackle it, and the way you overcome it, it's very different. And probably much easier. And less frustrating. So, you just have to see that the clicking is constantly happening. It's always clicking. It's happening right now, right there. Always. And just the fact that you see it, that you're aware of it, and you recognize it, is already more than 50%. It's like an addiction, you know, for people who have addictions, 
50% or more is recognizing the addiction. If you don't recognize you have an addiction, then it's very difficult. But once you recognize it, that's already the foundation. Because you're creating the cause to go in that direction organically. Even though maybe you're not doing anything, you already have the wish or the desire or the understanding. So the same way, the spiritual growth works the same way. When you recognize the ego, when you recognize there's something there that's misguiding you, then at least you're already, you're already 50% there. Yeah, so it's very good. It's very positive. And remember to, to actually overvalue the positiveness. So when you get frustrated, take, look at the positive side and make it big. As big as you can. <laughs> then you will, you'll be overwhelmed by positiveness. <laughs> Traumatized by positiveness, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, hmm. I, I, I heard you're a musician. Would you like to play something for us? Yeah? Okay. So, I would like to first uh, dedicate the time we spent here together today. Dedicate all the merits we've created to all sentient beings. And uh, dedicate it so that we can constantly have a very positive motivation to help ourselves improve in order to to help other sentient beings improve also. And in this way, we put all the merits in the bank. <laughs> Safekeeping. And it will multiply meanwhile. <laughs> and it will never get destroyed or burnt out by our destructive emotions that we welcome home many times as if they're the boss. The unwelcome guest becomes boss of our home. So we have to be aware of that and not let the destructive emotions take over. We have to constantly be calm, be harmonious, and then share that with other people. Create the cause to be happy, to be peaceful. And then we can at least not be unhappy. And from then we create the cause for the real happiness, the real joy. Not just the temporary happiness, but the actual state of mind, the actual which is the real joy, the, the one of understanding, of realizing, of taking off the, the sunglasses of ignorance, of awakening, of uh, letting go from the candy of attachment in samsara, you know, and then being able to really you know, escape so we can help all sentient beings. So in that way we motivate and we dedicate. Hey, you want to put the microphone near my?
So thank you so so much, Ursul, for coming here and teach. <laughs> I hope you have all been uh, traumatized with the the positive influence of uh, of his teachings. Um, I would just uh, just like to make a few announcements. Uh, Ursul, he will just leave for a short moment, and then he will uh, he will come back. And uh, for those of you who want to uh, say a personal uh, or have a personal uh, encounter with Ursula, you can if we can somehow try to line up, and then uh, then you can come back uh, and uh, and also if you want to leave a donation. Um, and uh, I would very much like Ursula on behalf of of the sender. Uh, to give you this uh, small uh, uh, sign of appreciation, and there's a small letter inside as well. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.